0: Welcome to the podcast for Gateway Baptist Church. You're listening to a message from our Ormo campus. Find us at gatewaybaptist.com.au if you'd like to connect with us as we seek to change lives by following Jesus in our community, our nation, and our world. Right, if you have a Bible with you, you might want to grab it this morning. If uh, it's on your phone, want to grab it because today I want to talk to you about this book. And at the start of this year, we we started talking as a church about stepping into a brand new season for us as we look towards in 2028, Gateway turning 100 years old. So our church is moving towards our 100th birthday. In two Sundays time, we're going to be celebrating our 10th birthday here at Gateway So That's a Sunday you want to be here, right? Because the party afterwards, the party food afterwards is going to be exceptional. I'm told people are already baking for it. So Two Sunday's time, we're going to celebrate our 10th our birthday. But in the grander story of our church, Gateway has existed for 100 years in 2028. And so we spent the last 12 months uh, as a leadership team, as, a, as a, uh, a broader church family saying, God, what's it look like for us in 2028? We don't just exist just to give everyone a nice time when we come together. We exist with a purpose and with a mission. God, uh, in his wisdom, decided to put Um, The future of the declaration and the proclamation of the message that Jesus is Lord in the hands of ordinary everyday people like you and I. And so here we gather together with the opportunity to tell people that there is a hope that can be found in Jesus. Therefore, what are we going to do? And so for the next seven years, we've just set our sights on what that looks like. You know, we believe that our mission as a church is to lead people to become fully devoted followers of Christ. And what does that mean, to actually help people grow up in their faith, discover more of who he is, discover his goodness, discover his grace, discover his healing, discover his hope, discover the purpose that he has for them and the gifts that he's given within them. And then within that, we've got some things that we've said, this is what we think it looks like as we head towards 2028. These are the things that we believe God's calling us to do, to invest in, to put our combined energies towards. And uh, we've been unpacking that. And then over these five weeks, we've been talking about the things that we value, And today I want to talk about this book, because one of our values is that we teach the Bible for every day. You see, this book really matters to us. And if you've got a Bible in your hand here today, or if you don't, maybe you've got one on your shelf at home, you may not have a Bible. And if you don't have a Bible, we would love to give you a gift today of your very first Bible. We have some at our welcome desk, and one of our team would love to give one of these to you before you leave. But this crazy thing happens with this book. See, the minute we make a decision that we want to start to discover what it means to follow Jesus, or the minute we show some kind of interest, or maybe we just turn up to school on the right day as a kid, someone gives us this book and says, this is something you're going to need to do your Christian life and your faith well. So we grab it, and from the very outset, we believe that there's something in this that we need to actually start to consume. We need to start reading it. We need to start understanding it because obviously this is a sacred book that has significance for our life. I wonder what your experience with what God's word has been. Because for many of us, it was something that was put in our hands, but then we opened it, and if we're honest, which we don't like being when it comes to talking about this book, many of us found it thoroughly confusing. If you're like me, when I read a book, I go to the very start. And so when you were given this book, maybe you just opened up to the very first pages of the scripture and you started reading. And the first couple of chapters of the book of Genesis, you have some really interesting stories about the beginnings, about creation, about the story of mankind, about brokenness, about sin, all of these stories. And then there's some stuff in there that just kind of messes with your mind a little bit, but you press on because it's interesting. But maybe then you got to what I'd like to call the graveyard of every young, eager Bible reader. They're called genealogies. So maybe you sat down one day and you thought, well, this book's really important. I need to ingest it because it's going to be important for my Christian walk in life. And, you know, I'm up to Genesis chapter 10 and you open up Genesis chapter 10 and you read this, the sons of Aram, Az, Hal, Githa, and Meshik. I can't even say their names. I've said to everyone here, if, you've ever got a, if you ever get stuck reading a Bible passage and you can't pronounce it, just press on with confidence like you know how it's pronounced, right? And everyone will think that you're a great Hebrew scholar. Because Afaxad was the father of Sheila and she, I could read it on, but it's the point. But we, we sit there and we're reading these things and we're like, but this is the word of God. This is obviously vitally significant, and I need to just sit with it long enough to unlock what it is. Is there something in the names? Is there something in what's being told? We don't know, but we just sit with it long enough thinking it's got to be important. But in our mind, we think this is really confusing, so we press on. And we go through some critical cool stories in the early parts of the scripture, but then we get into the books of the law. And if you made it through the genealogies, well, the law might be the next thing that seeks to take you out in your quest to read God's word. And there's a whole bunch of things that make sense. Like when the Bible says, we're going to talk about this. When the Bible says, do not murder, we think that's a good idea, right? Like that makes sense. But what what about when it says things like this? Deuteronomy 22, 23. If you enter your neighbor's vineyard, you may eat all the grapes you want. Just don't put any in your basket. Let me give you a modern translation of that. Your fridge is mine. Some of you know what already is. I just can't take a basket load of stuff home. That's the disappointing thing, so I' better come to your house hungry. But I mean, that's what the Bible says, right? So if I'm just going to apply the Bible to today, your fridge is mine. Leviticus 19: "Keep my decrees, says the Lord. Do not make different kinds of animals. do not plant your field with two kinds of seed, and do not wear clothing woven of two kinds of material." think it would be appropriate for us to pause now and everyone have just a moment of repentance. Anyone here today in a polycotton shirt? Anyone that's got anything that's like a Labrador, or Cocker Spaniel or Golden Retriever mix? Or anyone that planted radish next to carrot in their veggie patch? You've got some serious work to do with God because God says in his law that you shouldn't make two different kinds of animals, plant two different kinds of seeds together or wear fabrics of mixed materials. I mean, that's in the word, right? I'm not making this up. That's in this book. What does it mean to actually take that and live it for your life? If we press through the law, and I have to be honest, I picked some sanitized laws. There were some other ones I could have gone with today, but I value my job and I just, you know, even though the Bible says it, there's just some things in there that you go, glad we're not reading that to the kids tonight. If we get through the law, though, we get some pretty cool stories. I'm waiting for my invitation to come and speak at Youth Ministry this year. And when I do, I've found the passage that I want to speak on from 2 Kings chapter 2. It says, from there, Elisha went up to Bethel. And as he was walking along the road, some boys came out of the t- town and jeered at him. Get out of here, baldy, they said. Get out of here, baldy. <laughs> now, before we go on, you've seen our youth pastor. He led worship this morning. Nothing bald about that guy. He's there. I mean, he and Jared, looks like they're auditioning for parts as the next disciples in the next Jesus film at the moment. (laughs) Right, but this guy, this youth pastor, he's a bald man. Let's read the rest of this story. Dave, you're going to enjoy this. So Elisha turned around, looked at the youths and called down a curse on them in the name of the Lord. And then two bears came out of the woods and mauled 42 of the boys. I'm getting my chance at youth to speak on this passage at some point soon and any of you young guys that want to have a crack, you have a go afterwards and we'll see what we can do, right? That's in the Word of God. My point is we open it and we get overwhelmed by it and for some of us we get confused by it and we're confronted by it and we find it really hard to engage with and so we do one of two things, because it's almost, we almost feel like it's sacrilegious to even utter the words that I find this difficult. So some of us just press on, and some of us just give up. Well, my sole aim today is to actually help you feel at ease with the challenge of reading God's Word, but at the same time to find a new and a renewed desire to engage with it, because when... You get the tools to unlock it and understand it, it will transform your life. It will transform your life. But let's just start in the place of acknowledging that the Bible is a challenging book to read. You know why it's a challenging book? Let me just take a little sidestep and explain a little bit about this book so you understand the nature of it. Maybe you've never opened it. Let me tell you what it is that you'll open when you do one day. This is one book that's not actually one book, it's a library of 66 books. 66 different books that were brought together that all tell their different story of God's revelation. And they're all pieced together in a way that helped tell an overarching story of what God's done throughout human history. But there's still 66 individual books, many of them written by different authors. And they're not all in chronological order because they've been pieced together in a way that tells a grander story, even though in their individual parts they tell... own unique story. Within those 66 books, written by a whole bunch of different authors, are also a whole bunch of different genres. Some of the books of the Bible, and within some books you've got multiple genres, but some of them are letters, like you would write to someone put in the post. In In the latter part of the Bible, there's a whole bunch of letters that the Apostle Paul wrote to new churches that would be presented and delivered on a day like today when the church gathered. Someone would stand up and go, the church I want to say this and it would be read like a letter but then there's books that are filled with poetry things that were sung with you know, ancient instruments there's books of wisdom literature, there's books of historical narrative and legal narrative, there's books of what we call ap- apocalyptic uh, language or genre, you know like the prophetic books when you're reading about you know, horned dragons and ten-toed beasts and all of these wonderful fiery things flying through there. That's what we call apocalyptic language and literature. So 66 books, multiple authors, not necessarily in chronological order, in a whole bunch of different genres. More than that, it was written over a span of around 1,200 years. Now, when you get a hold of this, because I'm, I'll put it out there, 42 years old, and i look way older than that, but I'm 42 years old. When I was born... Uh, there was no smartphones. There was no way you could podcast a sermon on Sunday. You couldn't even get a tape when I was first born. Tape ministries came in a few years later and churches hadn't worked out how to put their pastor's messages pressed onto vinyl. The first game system I got because I was an only child and so I was a little bit spoiled. It's good being an only child. It's good being spoiled. It was a Sega Master System too. Alex Kidd in Miracle World. Anyone else? Yep, all the 40 pluses here. Like, I used to love it because the only phone we had was one that hung on the wall. So, if someone rang you and they couldn't find you, it was because you weren't home and you didn't answer and they didn't turn up the church going, I rang you 17 times this week, knowing that you saw it and just ignored their calls. Like, the, the world has changed so significantly in 42 years. Take that 42 years and acknowledge the fact that the scriptures were written over 1,200 years. Some of what you read in this book was written over 3,000 years ago. And you wonder why when you pick it up and do this, you go, oh, I have no idea what that's about. Because the world has changed so significantly. And so there's lots and lots of challenges. Over that 1,200 years, the language in which this book was written changed as well. The, The original scriptures weren't written in English, amazingly. They weren't even written in Old English. They were written in Hebrew, in Greek, in Aramaic. In other words, this is a complex book that has been put together over many years. And it is a challenging book, but the word of God in its essence is the story of God's revelation. In other words, God has revealed himself. God has acted in human history and then God has inspired people to write that down so that you and I today have a record of God's revelation. Does that make sense? God's revealed himself, inspired someone to write the story, and keep it so that you and I can read the record of God's revelation. And you know what that tells us about who God is? God wants to be known. One of the hardest things for biblical scholarship is when they go looking for ancient texts that help them understand the world of the Bible, there isn't as much as you'd expect. We just expect that there were libraries full of stuff, but there weren't because God in his wisdom inspired people to write stuff down because he wants to be known and God wants to be known. But the challenge is we've got a book that spans so much time that we have to do some work to understand the context because God in his desire to be known spoke to people in ways that they understood. Therefore, the record we have of God's revelation is the record of the people who God revealed himself to in their way, in their culture, in their language. If God wants to speak a word into your ear this morning, it's not going to be in Hebrew. It's going to be in English because that's what God is like. He speaks to you in ways that you can understand. And this book is filled with God speaking to people in ways that they understood because it made sense in their culture. But our culture has moved so far. We've got some work to do. But guess what? We live at a time in history where there's more resources, there's more scholarship, there's more ways to help us read, unpack, understand and apply this book than ever before. God has given you his word and it's his word for today. But it was delivered to people in their context. So let's do the hard work of hearing the voice of God into our story and our context. And so for a few minutes, I want to tell you about why engaging with this book matters. Because one of our values as a church is that we teach the Bible for every day. In other words, the Bible really matters to us. It is God's inspired word. You know, we we live our life by it. We direct our church by it. We see it as a tool to know and understand who God is and know his ways. So here's three things that I think are going to help you Engage with God's Word differently than may you, or maybe that you have to this point in your story. Firstly, I want to say this: the Bible illuminates. The Bible illuminates. The longest Psalm in the Bible—Psalms were songs and poems. The longest Psalm is Psalm 119, in verse 105. Hidden away in there is a verse that's probably been put on more crocheted wall hangings over time than many others, and it says this: "Your Word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path." a poetic narrative around what the Scriptures is. Your word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. Jesus, sometime later in the Gospel of Matthew, says this, enter through the narrow gate, for wide is the gate and broad is the road that leads to destruction and many enter through it, but small is the gate and narrow the road that leads to life and only a few find it. know that we live in a world with, with a thousand messages that are telling you right now about how you should live your life. There's a thousand messages about what's going to make you happy, about what's going to make you content, about what's going to be fulfilling for you. There's a thousand messages about how to find purpose, about what is true, about what is good, about what is acceptable, about what is right. And God, Jesus says, you know, the path that leads to destruction is wide. There's a, there's a hundred different ways you can walk down that path. But I want to light my lamp on the path that sits squarely within the purposes of God for your life. Your word is a lamp unto my feet. It's a light unto my path. See, God's word reveals to us God's way. God's word reveals for us God's way. If you want to write anything down from today, write that down. And God's design for you is that you would flourish. And to flourish, we've got to discover the life that God intended for us. Now, you could take that sentence and there makes up the bulk of what I'm going to preach to you on tonight. What does it mean to live God's way and therefore to flourish in life? Because especially if you're young here, you live in a generation where there's messages telling you everything. Everything is possible. Everything is permissible. Everything is okay. And some of us have walked down some of those paths and we've come up more broken, more hurt, more empty, more lost than we've ever been before. But God's word reveals us God's way and God's way is designed to help you flourish in life and we only flourish when we discover the life that God intended for us. We live in a generation that has more access to God's word but we actually live in a generation with a lower biblical, biblical literacy than ever before. Many of us have multiple Bibles on our bookshelves, the Bible app that you can access on your phone, I was in a, a telecall with the guy that was part of designing that from Life Church in the States. They've just had over 500 million downloads onto devices just in this last couple of weeks. 500 million devices in which the Bible we live in a generation with more access to the scriptures than ever before, but more of us read it less than ever before. We also live in a generation that builds theology out of feelings rather than being grounded in the robust knowledge of God. In other words, if we feel like that should be right, well, surely God's on the side of what feels right, right? Let me just tell you this. Sometimes your feelings aren't the greatest litmus test for what's good and right. Think about young love. Maybe you're in the midst of it. But feelings can actually be the thing that can send us off in some pretty damaging directions because it feels okay, right? But we've got people that build a theology out of what they feel. In other words, I feel... No? Yes? Don't move. Like get a mobile phone reception on church camp, isn't it? See everyone down by the kitchen. Let me go back. We live in a generation that builds theology out of our feelings. In other words, our understanding of who God is and how God should operate. We've got to be very, very careful that we don't spend our life trying to get God to conform to our image when the Bible tells us that we are the ones that have been made in his image and need to learn to conform to the things in the image of God. See, the invitation of the word is to have your life shaped by the one who breathes life into you. And in the very first chapters of this book, we discover God as creator that puts all things in their place in harmony together. And then when he looked at all that he'd done, you know what he declared over his creation? It was very good. And so the only thing that changed was when that good creation was marred by people who decided they could do it better than God. Again, I'm going to talk about this tonight. See, the Bible invites you to a place of discovering the path that leads to life by learning God's way because God's way is designed to help you flourish. But the Bible doesn't just illuminate, the Bible matures. I'm going to say a few things this morning that might be offensive to a few of us, but that's okay take a deep breath, you'll be all right. See, what happens when you believe? When you come to a place, and if you've you've never taken this step, I'd love at the end of our service today to introduce you to Jesus and pray with you so that you might step into all the life that he has for you. But when we take a first step in our faith, it it is often an acknowledgement that Jesus is Lord, that we want to put our trust and our hope in him and we acknowledge the brokenness of our life and the stupid decisions we've made. It's it's what the Bible calls repentance. We repent, we acknowledge it, and we ask God to forgive us. And the Bible says that God is so gracious and so loving that there's nothing that you've done that he won't forgive. The Bible actually says that there's nothing that you can do that's going to earn God's favour. In other words, you can't be a better Christian, and that gets you in better favour with God. It just says that it's by grace, it's by God's grace that every one of us has been given this incredible gift, of life and relationship with God. It's because of his action, his initiative and his doing, nothing that you've done. But we can take that into our Christian life then when we have that first encounter with the life, the love and the grace of God. We can then take that into life and go, well, God is gracious, therefore the way I live my life doesn't really matter because God's grace is always sufficient for me. And it's true, but it's flawed thinking because something happens when you discover God's grace, that should transform the way you live your life. The grace isn't license to do the things the way that you want. Grace is actually a gift that should enact in us a life of worship. I was reading just randomly a few weeks ago, Jesus tells a story in Luke chapter 12 about you know, servants that are waiting for their master to come back, to return. He says this, a servant who knows what the master wants but isn't prepared and doesn't carry out those instructions will be severely punished. You know, the start of Jesus' story is talking about servants that are told to look after the place and the master will return one day. And so he says, those that know what the master wants, in other words, how to look after things, when the master comes back and they're not prepared, they'll be severely punished. But someone who does not know and then does something wrong will be punished only lightly. Jesus is saying... There's some responsibility that comes with the knowledge of the things of God, right? When someone has been given much, much will be required in return. And when someone has been entrusted with much, even more will be required. In other words, if you're here today and some point in your life, you've had the opportunity to know Jesus, to have an encounter with his grace, to be transformed by his truth, to discover the life that he wants for you, he actually wants you to start applying some of that to your life. The bottom line, we actually carry some responsibility to grow in our faith. If you've been following Jesus a long time, some things in your life should start to look different. See, see one of the things that we get caught up with in the church is we want to take a Christian morality and just apply it liberally on everything. But no, no, there's, there's a Christian maturity that happens as we discover God's grace. You know, All of us are at a different stage in our faith journey. If you're brand new in it, God's actually going to want to just, and he'll do it gently and compassionately, but he's just going to want to help you discover daily more and more of who he is and how you can do life better and how he wants you to flourish. And you're going to get plenty of stuff wrong, but that's all right. That's where grace does come in. But he actually wants you to keep discovering more of who he is so that your life can be more aligned to who he is. But if you're sitting here today and you've been following Jesus five years, 10 years, 20 years, 50 years, some things should be obviously different from when you started. You should be kinder. You should be more patient. You should be more compassionate. You should be more generous. We very, very rarely talk about giving in this church, but often it's the most mature Christians that whinge about it. It's this is like it's, it's an offence to them. Why? We should be more generous the, the longer we've served Jesus. We should be slower to respond in anger. We should be quicker to listen. The writer of Hebrews says this, he says to some people, in fact, by this time, you ought to be teachers, but you need someone to teach you the elementary truths of God's word all over again. You need milk, not solid food. In other words, the paraphrase of that passage is this. Some of you right now should have been old enough in the faith that you're self-sufficient enough that you don't need mummy and daddy to heat up the bottle for you anymore. You don't need someone to hold your hand. One of the other values, and talk on this next week is, you know, we raise generations. We speak into the younger generations. We really value in our church investing in the young generation. You see it by where we put our resources. You see it by where we put our time. And hopefully you see the number of kids that stream out here every Sunday morning and you see that there's something that's actually coming from that. But there comes a point in my life where I hope, and I hope I'm there already, that some of what happens here. If it's something my kids love and adore, I'm okay with that, even if it doesn't fully suit me. I jump into my car with my kids right now, we have a rule, right? Whoever's car it is gets to choose the music, which is great. My kids get in my car and they whinge. And I don't know why they whinge, it's fantastic music. And I, someone told me the other day that when you're 25, apparently you're not as open to listening to new music. Well. Midnight Oil only just released a new record, so I think they're a current day band. I don't get why my kids think they're old-fashioned. But anyway, they're listening to the power and the passion, and I I was dancing like Peter um, Garrett for my kids the other day, showing them what good dance moves look like. If anyone wants some lessons, I'm pretty good at it. But my kids have to listen to that when they're in my car. I get in their car. None of them are here at the moment, just between you and I. They never listen to my podcast, so this is safe. But Rubbish. Rubbish. Half of it was made on a computer. Half of it's recommendations from James Bignall. (laughs) It's just rubbish. Like, where's the rock and roll and the rhythm and the beat? And, like, I can't even understand the lyric. I mean, whoa, the power and the passion. We can all understand that, but I I just don't get it. But they love it. And thankfully, only one of my kids is driving, so Eli's car, his choice. There's a lot that happens when we gather that's subjective, right? Style of music's one of them. Now, I'm not saying that we're gonna go to that because that's just not allowed in our church, but but, but here's the point. There's gonna be some things that change as culture changes that aren't issues of salvation. They're just new ways and new methods that God's gonna take a timeless message and help it become relevant to a different generation. There's a point where some of us need to be mature enough in our faith that we're okay that some things change so that we're not as comfortable with them anymore or we don't like them as much, but we're okay because we've actually grown up enough that when we see our kids come alive, that's the thing we celebrate. We're gonna be unapologetic about that. Some of us just need to hear one challenge today. It's time to grow up. And God's word wants to help mature you and grow you up. Finally, God's word illuminates, God's word matures and God's word transforms. We did a series on James last year and I told you then my favorite scripture uh, is just a really practical one. James says this, do not merely listen to the word and so deceive yourselves, do what it says. You know what I love about that verse? You don't need to understand the context to get the heart of what he's trying to say. We don't need just theologians that aren't practitioners. See, I've had a lot of young people over the years whinge at me about, you know, the teaching's not deep enough. Jesus actually takes the breadth of the Old Testament law in a conversation and says, if you want to wrap it all up, let me wrap it up into one thing. Love God with everything and love your neighbor as you love yourself. You can pursue the deepest teaching. And you know what? We've gone through Bible college. I love that stuff. And I found lots of sources and podcasts and books and stuff that helped me go deeper into an understanding of God's word. And if that's how God's wired you, you should do that. You should invest and go deeper. All of us should seek to go deeper in understanding more of who God is because you'll live your entire life and you'll not get near the edge of an understanding of how great and powerful and wonderful he actually is but going deeper without actually taking it and doing something with it misses the point. I can teach you all the Hebrew phrases for love, but if you don't apply love in your situation, in your workplace, in your families, in your neighbourhoods, you miss the point of why God gives us his word because it's there to transform us. Don't just become theologians, become practitioners of what you learn. I'm pretty sure there's not a written test at the gates of heaven but all of us will stand before God and give account for the life we live and the fruit that it produces. Now so let God's word transform you I get the band to come join me. Uh, two weeks ago, Chrissy and I had the chance to do a, a sprint along the Great Ocean Road. I was in Melbourne for a conference for a couple of days and uh, very generously, grandparents offered to look after our kids and so Chrissy came down and joined me and Last time we did it, we did it with four kids in our car. We'd been on a three-week road trip and it's one of the top ten most beautiful drives in the world and it was a horrific day because my kids were feral. Just putting it out there. Worst day of the whole three weeks and it was on the most beautiful road in Australia. And so I vowed that next time I'd go back and take no children, which we did. (laughs) So uh, we went back and uh, loved doing those things with my kids. But That particular day was a good one. Because you know, I drove, and about halfway along, there's a little turn off that takes you to a place called the Cape Otway Light Station. It's between um, like Angel Sea and Lawn and uh, Warnable. halfway along there. And I remember doing it with the kids a few years ago, and because we got lots of kids, we got there, and it costs to go in, and when you got a lot of kids, you're broke, so you just do the path up the top that, where they can see the lighthouse like four kilometers away. We did that walk and bought them all in an icy pole and got back in the car. And I remember we were driving up to it, and Christy and I said, "Oh, I remember doing that drive, it felt like forever. And I looked, it was only 10 kilometres. I said, let's go into the light station. So we, we drove down, and there was only two of us, so we paid and took all the photos and sent them to our kids and said, this is what happens when there's only two of us. We went into the lighthouse, Money joke, and I love my kids. They've had plenty of great adventures. Anyway, we went to the Cape Otway light station, and we got to climb the light station. Here's a photo coming up from the lighthouse. And uh, at the top, you just get to gaze over the Southern Ocean. Or maybe not, just imagine a lighthouse. You get to gaze over the Southern Ocean. It's just incredible, the power of the waves against the huge sandstone cliffs. It's, that's just, that's, for me, that's a place of soul refreshment. And we got to climb the lighthouse and we're just walking around the top and the wind was howling. And anyway, I go inside and there's a volunteer in there who's talking about the lighthouse and its history. And I just asked her a really simple thing, I said, Is it still in operation? And she said, no, it's, um, see that little beacon down on the rock down there? That's the new thing. This here is, she she said, we've actually only got three globes left that uh, will power this lighthouse. They don't make the globes that are used in it anymore. We've only got three left and they're just kept in safe storage for um, great occasions. Like next year, I think it's 150 years old. So next year, they'll turn the lighthouse on to celebrate its 150th birthday. Anyway, what was there? She started to explain how lighthouses work. I didn't know this, and usually I'm not that interested in these things, but it was really captivating. She said, you know, people people think they just stick a lighthouse on a rocky outcrop that's dangerous just to alert the ships that don't sail this way. She said, there's way more to it than that. Every lighthouse has actually got a blinking pattern, a unique blinking pattern. So go back before the time of GPS navigation, a ship would be sailing along and they'd see the blinking pattern. They'd go to the navigational charts and they'd be able to tell the Cape Otway lighthouse from all the others. She said they actually made a mistake and they made the lighthouse on the other side of the um, channel, a uh, King Island, a uh, too similar a blinking pattern. And people got confused. They saw the King Island one and turned right thinking it was Cape Otway and ran straight into the island. Not what lighthouses are meant to do. But uh, finally, they got themselves sorted and made the blinking patterns really unique so that when people saw the light, in the middle of the dark ocean. They were able to get their bearings as to where they were. But she said, there's more to it than that. There's actually some incredible architecture. People look at lighthouses and think that it was just an architectural creation just to you know, look good. She said, you would have seen one just down the road that's really tall and really narrow. She said, they're not built um, just for an architectural reason. They're actually built with a purpose and their height really matters. She said, what they do is they look at ocean level And then they count up. And they've made a decision that from this point, the safest passage through the ocean is 48 nautical miles out to sea. Because in that Southern Ocean, you see, there's 300 shipwrecks. It's a terrible passage for ships. There's rocky reefs everywhere. I mean, so many ships come aground because they didn't know where they were going. She said, actually, if people are smart, they would sail right around the bottom end of Tasmania and then come up the East Coast. But people want the shortcut. We always want the shortcut, don't we? So what they worked out was 48 nautical miles off the coast is the safest passage to sail to not hit the reefs. So they've built the lighthouse up to the point that the throw of light falls off at 48 nautical miles. So when a ship is sailing, they see the blink of the light and it tells them where they are because they learn to read its pattern. But then they sail right to the edge of it and it helps them guide the treacherous waters ahead. What a great picture for what this book does for us. It gives us a reference point. It it helps us know where we are. It Actually, it's a foundation for us to stand upon. When things start getting messy and culture and the voice of culture and the narrative of culture starts to confront everything that we've known and believed, we've got somewhere to come back to as a reference point that helps us deal with the challenges that every single one of us faces. But more than that, it actually guides us through treacherous waters. When we learn to read it, when we learn to understand it, when we learn to hear God's voice through it, when we learn to see how this ancient book, by the grace of God and by the empowering of Holy Spirit, is made alive in your story today, it helps you navigate treacherous waters. Church, it's a hard book to read, but we need to fall in love with it. Because of God's gift to us to do life the way he intended, to discover the God that wants to be known and to navigate treacherous waters ahead. Let's pray. God, you've spoken and you've acted. I want to thank you for the faithful servants of yours throughout history that have recorded that so that we today can read your story We can read your words. We can know your heart. We can see how you've acted in history. And God, we can find a reference point that helps us do life here in 2022 well and in a God-driven way. Lord, I also want to thank you that your word tells us that you've given us the gift of your Holy Spirit that helps make plain for us the things of God. And so, Lord, I want to pray for all of us here today, that as we open your word, that you would just give us wisdom. Lord, for the bits that we can't understand, the bits that seem too confronting, too challenging, too messy, too overwhelming. Father, that we would just, we would just allow you to speak to us. God, maybe that we would just take the time to let the word do what it does. But Father, I want to pray that you would bring this alive for people. The Lord, you would, people would hear your voice so clearly into their life and circumstances as they read your words. As you teach us about love and as you teach us about forgiveness, as you teach us about grace, as you teach us about how to love one another, as you teach us about how to be kind and generous and compassionate, as you teach us your story of a God in heaven that loves us and just desires us to be in a relationship with you. Thank you for the gift of your word, God, bring it alive in people's hearts and minds, I pray. In the mighty name of Jesus, amen. Come on church, can we stand together this morning? We're just gonna sing a song that talks about where we choose to build the foundation of our life. Yeah, the Bible is the story of God's love. His love is a great place to build a foundation. Let's worship together. We hope you've been blessed by this message. We are a growing family and we'd love to see you at one of our Sunday services because everyone who comes through our doors is welcome. You can find out more about our community and our locations at gatewaybaptist.com.au.